This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Seventy-seven episodes of Play-by-Play Cast in the books. Thanks as always for clicking subscribe and/or download. Joining us once again here on a Friday morning. My name is Joel Godet. This is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. Hey, as always, you can interact with us on social media. You can find us at PXPCast, or you can find myself at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. And then, hey, if you get a couple of seconds. And you're listening to this not in your car, because what I'm about to say would be unsafe if you were driving. Uh, Throw us a rating or a review. It certainly helps uh, continue to push the podcast forward, helps people notice it and find it and algorithms and all that technical jargon that is way over my head. I just click publish. Uh, But if if you have a second to throw some stars or leave a quick comment uh, about the podcast uh, would really... Certainly appreciate that going forward and got a couple of ratings uh, added to the fold this past week. So if that was one of you, uh, many thanks for for doing that and uh, and expressing your uh, your continued interest in and support of the play by play cast. Quick nugget about previous episodes of the podcast as well. Our back catalog, all 76 episodes previous to this one available and free to you on whatever device you're listening to this with. Um, just by scrolling back through them. And it's always fun looking at the number of downloads on previous episodes because even if you go back into the, the teens and the 20s and the, the 30s of this podcast, those episode numbers and their download numbers still continue to tick up. And uh, it's neat to kind of see uh, new people finding uh, some of the old episodes as well. So uh, even if you're new to the podcast and you've just listened to some of the more recent ones or you're just here for this one with, uh, with John Shambi this week, do check out some of the early ones. I mean, way back to Carter Blackburn and Andy Nemetra and Bill Hillgrove was an early one. Adam Amin and Joe Davis and J.B. Long and uh, Matt Martucci, Eli Gold. Uh, all those guys that we had on in the, the very early episodes of the pod. Take a look at some of those as well. Kind of dive into everything. It's all there uh, at your fingertips. Our guest today is from the realm of baseball. And it's ESPN's John Shiambi and a guy that I have wanted to have on this podcast for some time now, we we got Dan Schulman uh, back in uh, the winter. Now it's been a while. I have to scroll back through and find uh, the back archive episode with Dan Schulman. It was episode twenty-seven. Oh goodness, it was last winter. It's been almost a full year since we had Dan Schulman on. All right, comes full circle. Uh, we had Dan on, and uh, that was an awesome conversation. I guess last December. And uh, have wanted to have John Shambi, Boog Shambi on uh, for the longest time on this podcast. Also, for the longest time, I didn't know how to reach out to him. I like I didn't have an email, didn't have a phone number. A lot of the people on this podcast, I've either had previous relationships to 
or I'm just really good at Google stalking and I've found ways to get in touch with them. Uh, or PR people have helped out. For John, I like I, none of those things was an option. So I, I just tweeted at him. Like I, th- I did the shameless thing and I, I just tweeted at him. Uh, so if you follow us on Twitter, you, you could all see that there was a point in time where, where we lobbied to get um, John Shambi on the podcast and he very gratefully and quickly obliged. And then that happened to be like the end of the baseball season. So for obvious reasons, he, he was a little busy. And uh, and we didn't get a chance to sit down until just this past week. And incredible amount of thanks to him uh, after the fact. Uh, he was dealing with a little bit of a cold, and I got him to talk to me on the phone for, for 45 minutes for this podcast. And as, as you can hear now, I feel like I'm dealing with something. I, I sound like Froggy right now from the Little Rascals. So uh, apologies for my uh, vocal quality. Uh, on the open of this podcast as well. But uh, John is a good guy to talk to, uh, certainly, for obvious reasons, uh, from a baseball standpoint. And we dive into a lot of uh, the mechanics of calling baseball, and he gets into some really interesting things that are incredibly insightful and that I'd never heard before um, when it comes to calling a baseball game. That probably says more about me than anything else. Uh, but but he'll break down some of the kind of his basic mechanics of what is important to him in broadcasting a baseball game. Uh, he'll talk about his preparation and the way that he interacts with players and the way that he, uh, I don't want to say gets information because it sounds so cold and callous that way, but gets information. Uh, the, the way that he's you know been able to develop relationships with the players and and. And again, this sounds cold, but and, and mine information and stories and anecdotes that help him do his job better. And then John's also a big guy in analytics. Not, not analytics, uh, sabermetrics. I, I want to make sure I get that correctly, and, and we'll get into I mean the exact definition of sabermetrics here. Uh, John is big on sabermetrics and the understanding of, of baseball and, in different ways and through different statistics. And uh, we have the discussion about factoring all that stuff in to a broadcast and doing it in a fun, informative, digestible manner. So uh, a lot of different topics, a broad range of uh, things to touch on with John Shambi today. But we start with his rise in the industry. And it was an interesting one. And I didn't know this about him, but he was a guy that right out of college went the talk show route. And uh, quickly found out that his heart was in play-by-play. And, you know, took a shot and went out to Boise, Idaho and did minor league baseball. And then one thing leads to another and he winds up on the crew of the then Florida Marlins. And then he winds up doing games on television for the Atlanta Braves. And then winds up full-time at ESPN in 2010 where he has been uh, ever since. So uh, he will start on that conversation and climbing up the ranks of uh, his profession and our profession to uh, the ultimate point of where he is now. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty on this week's play by play cast with John Boog Shambi. So at BC, I worked at a student radio station, WZBC, and, you know, called games and did sports talk stuff at that point in my career i really wanted to be a sports talk show host i I wanted to be something more like 
Mike the Mad Dog in that range. I was, <clears throat> I grew up in New York City, and uh, you know, listening to WFAN, so that probably influenced me. When I got out of school, I went and worked for a company called Sports Ticker, which ESPN eventually bought, but it it was a forerunner. Basically, it's the crawl. Um, it was a a company that would just take in scores. And so I worked there and then, um, and then from there, after about six months, I ended up going to work out at a station, WESB, and it was where I grew up. Somebody knew someone and heard that, yeah, and heard about an opening. And I went to the station and basically did everything. I did news, sports, weather, DJ, board up pirates games. Um, Bradford is the home of the Zippo lighter factor factory. So there you go. Um, so I did that. And then from there, I got some help from one of my BC classmates. Uh, Bob Washusen was down in Miami at an all sports radio station. And he helped get me a job as, you know, a producer, and eventually, right, we're pretty much right away. I got to do updates, so I went down to Miami and stayed on his couch for a little while. Um, and that's sort of how it progressed in Miami. And from there, I got my own talk show. Eventually, during my free time, I would go to Marlins games and do games into a tape recorder. And I eventually put a tape together. Got to Boise, Idaho, did that, then came back to South Florida, got the Marlins job, and then it's kind of gone from there. At, at what point in all of that did you say, like, uh, if you're in Miami, you're, you're, you're working in sports radio in a fairly major market, do you say, I, A, I want to start doing play-by-play more, and then B, I'm going to go to Boise, Idaho to do it? Well, I, I just think that – Baseball has always been a passion for me. Um, I just wasn't satisfied. Talk was great initially, and then I I just was looking for I was looking for something else. As far as going to Boise, it was as great an experience as I have ever had. However, I still can remember landing in Boise, Idaho, um, and you know, they they weren't going to, you know, pay a ton. It was, this is about getting the experience, but a part of the country that I had never been to and waiting for someone was coming to pick me up after I had landed and just being there in, in a pretty much empty, um, in an empty portion of the, of the airport, just standing there going, what have I done? <laughs> and, uh, but it was it was a it was a spectacular experience. Boise was a great town, and the northwest the Northwest League was amazing. What What'd you learn in that year? I wasn't very good. Um, it's hard, you know. You you every announcer finds it out, but you just the best way I would describe it is whether you like baseball or not. Um, it's a slow game that can get really fast in a hurry. And that I would say is 
you know, what I experienced, but, and beyond that, you know, just traveling through the league and learning stuff, had a great manager. The manager of the team was Tom Kochman, who's, you know, Casey's Casey, dad, right? Casey Kochman's father, who, you know, operated at that time as a scout and a manager for, for the angels organization. How did you get better? And, and what was the realization process like of, you know, I've, I've taken this gamble. I've, I've come out here to Boise, Idaho. I need to get better right now. I'm not very good. Where do I go? What do I do? How does it all unfold? Well, I think that I, I think that I knew that I was getting better throughout the year. You just, I know that during that season and, and look, most guys, you know, nowadays when, you know, they, they do it and they travel and, and at that level, most of the time, um, you know, it's just one dude. I know for me, my partner went away and there was a weekend series that I did by myself. And um, I think two of the games went 12 innings or something like that. And it was, you know, and you're just solo and you, you start to feel like you can handle it a little bit more. Um yeah, it was just it was it was basically just reps is is really the answer to to how you get to how you get better and um but I don't think I had a real you know, I, I don't think I had a real perspective on how much I'd grown with it, I guess. How'd you wind up getting back to Miami? Well, that was the plan all along. That I was fortunate in that the radio station had sort of granted me a bit of a sabbatical um to come back um and and still do my talk show and that type of thing would you have done um, it otherwise or was that i mean just kind of everybody's kind of story has those interesting twists and turns and and that seems like one of those like twists of fate that that helps you out in the long run it certainly helped me out but yeah i would i would have gone okay i was down to i was down to go jump into the deep end of the pool and just <laughs> figure it out. So I, I would have, but it was that, that was helpful to be able to go back there. And then, you know, basically the way it worked was at the time Wayne Huizenga owned the Marlins and the Panthers, eventually Marlins, Panthers and Dolphins. And, uh, I had done some of the, Panthers radio pregame intermission and postgame um, prior. And um, I, the guy that helped me out a lot was uh, Dean Jordan. He was the director of broadcasting with um, the Marlins. And basically that job opened up with, the Marlins as they were changing their broadcasting structure up so that now it was going to be their four broadcasters were going to split. Tommy Hunt was going to stay on TV and one of their TV girl, they'd have a play-by-play guy on radio and a play-by-play guy on TV that would swap. And then the fourth position was a radio only uh, pregame, postgame, in-game scores, a little bit of color in-game, and, you know, a tiny bit of play-by-play. 
I want to dive into to some of kind of the, the wonky side of broadcasting too, but I want to ask you one more thing uh, career path-wise as well in terms of how when, the way all of that plays out, and we've had this conversation uh, a couple of times in, in really recent weeks on the podcast also, um, the, the kind of split way of going about rising up in the industry of, you know, being a guy that's going to go, you know, it, to go start in Boise and stay in Boise right. in a couple of years and, and climb those ranks versus, you know, having been in Miami and being in a big market and being around and then you're doing pre and post and then that eventually leads to you can find your way to a play-by-play job at a major league level by not necessarily having one right away, but still by being there. Um, what are the benefits to, I mean, I guess you've kind of seen it from both angles. What are the benefits to, to both sides of that? Yeah, it's hard. I, and I, I feel for the guys that, you know, go and do the jobs and then feel like they, you know, they're just waiting for somebody to, to pluck them out. I do think that being around, it's unfortunate because there are plenty of guys that are doing it who are good enough. And that's part of what you're, you're looking to do is that you want to, you know, go to the minors and get better. But then there's also being near a market so that you can be heard so that there's some familiarity. Um, because I think it, it's, it is now probably a little harder to just get found um, in that regard. So uh, yeah, it's, it was definitely the way it worked out for me was an advantage to have the ability to go to the minors and then go back to a major market and be around, uh, you know, a major league uh, broadcasting situation. So it's, uh, I don't know. And I, and I would suspect that the path is, and there are plenty of things that are just different now about the process than, you know, what I did back then. And look, truth be told, and I got really lucky because when I came back, the Marlins were changing their broadcasting situation. Sure. And it just the timing, the timing worked. What makes baseball good on television or what makes good baseball television? Um, I mean, look, the way I'm trying to do it is I, I want I want it to be fun. I want it to be interesting. I want it to be smart. I would say those would be the the three things I'm looking for on television. You know, everybody does it differently. You know, at ESPN, more often than not, we're doing a three-man booth. You know, I'm someone, I like the Bill James stuff and the Sabermetric stuff and know it fairly well, at least for a long time. And those concepts. And, you know, I like to get in, get in the mix and get my hands dirty a little bit. So I'm not shy about, you know, wrestling on concepts and that, and that type of thing. But, you know, my main job there is to try and humanize players and engage the analysts. How do you, I I mean, I read the baseball prospectus kind of, I guess, op-ed that you you had written in terms of the sabermetrics and and the the mathematical side of things. Um, And you talked about the fact that, you know, you're, you're mathematically challenged and you know yeah. it, you have to be able to break it down um how do you do that and make it fun because you know numbers inherently like i'm in the same boat not fun um but what's the right way to do it and the right way to convey it uh to make it interesting to help people learn uh and to do it so you know we and they don't get lost well look the, 
I still would say that there's kind of a misconception about sabermetrics has a definition. It's the search for objective knowledge about baseball. And so I don't think that everybody realizes what constitutes sabermetrics. You know what I mean? It's not just war and FIP and stuff like that. It's not just stats like informationally, um, you know, when you're getting good, interesting information out there, that works as it relates to advanced stats. Um, I, I, I truly still, you know, you go back to that piece that I wrote, I still would say, whereas it's grown, I think the starting place is, is still the same. And that is, it begins with what you're not including, what you're not doing, avoiding the noise, meaning staying away from pitcher wins and RBIs as a way to demonstrate this guy is good. Meaning like just something as simple as this. We're not, so, so never, so now not doing, here's a stat, you know, here's a graphic of this is who's led the major leagues and wins the last five years. Not that you're, you know, the top five guys, not that, you're not going to find good pitchers on there. It's just that you don't want to imply that this is how you should think in order to find a good answer. Or here's the five guys that have led the league in RBIs the last five years. So avoiding the noise is the first thing. And then when you get, when you get good information, you know, being able to pass it along and, you know, I still would say that, you know, the basic offensive concepts of on base and slugging, correlating the most to run scoring and, you know, again, pushing across the idea that offense is about not making outs first and foremost. That's how, that's how the game works. So it's, uh, it's hard. I, I, again, and it's my judgment, how you, you know, as to how to do it. Now you have stat cast and all that stuff. And, um, you know, in, engaging the audience that way, I think, is is important as well. Can it almost make for better television sometimes? If, I mean, if you're working with an older school guy, uh, to have that conversation about, you know, what it, what is true and, and what pictures, numbers can paint, um, so that it's not just, you know, here's sabermetrics and here's why it matters, but you're actually not just convincing the, the viewer at home, but you're convincing the, the people that are sitting around you. Um. Yeah, if that makes it can, sense. It can be interesting, but I'd also say again, back to the definition. You know, the one part of it is, I guess I've kind of arrived at, you know, the look, offensively, you know, they they've got it nailed down pretty well, and there there's just I guess what I'm saying is that there's a lot of stuff that we've gotten to that. It's it's pretty well objective, you know what I mean? Like sure. you can't you can't sit there and and there's two guys with a you know 150 point difference in OPS, and you're gonna try and say that one of them's you know pretty close to the same player because he knocked in seven more runs than him. You know what I mean? It's sure. it's like you just don't get to say it's. It's not so, you know, it, you just can't, you can't 
push that one. So, yeah, at times it makes for good wrestling matches. I mean, look, if you want an example on the air, I mean, when we talk bunting, if we really get into the weeds, like, yeah, I'm a dork. I have a run expectation table on my computer. I have the, you know, how many runs you're expected to score and what percentage of the time you're expected to score. And, you know, if I'm working with certain guys who are a fan of the bunt, I am absolutely going to, you know, break it out and explain, you know, look, here are the situations where you're actually increasing your ability to score. And here are the situations where you're not. That's actually really interesting uh, <laughs> from, from that standpoint. Uh, the human aspect of it as well. I, I want to go to the, the Chipper Jones story uh, with the first pitch fastball. <laughs> right. uh, how do you, and you know, this goes to the numbers and then bringing in the, the storytelling side of it. Uh, how do you broach that subject with Chipper to, to go up to him and, and begin that conversation by like saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't swing at the first pitch so often? Yeah, see, I, first of all, I didn't – it was never you shouldn't <laughs> swing at the first pitch so often. Okay. That's the first thing. Um, I mean, I traveled with the team. Chipper was amazing to talk to about hitting. Just so smart. His recall was incredible. He He was very well thought out about all of the things that he did. Um, so when I would, you know, so basically in a, in spots, I would just, you know, sometimes I would go and talk to him about specific things and sometimes we just chat, but I'd also at times just find information and then, you know, want him to react to it. And that was really more what I was doing there, you know, because he's, I knew he would have a thought for me. I knew that he'd have a a reason why he's swinging at first pitch fastballs so much um, or swinging at first pitch, the first pitch so much. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny, but he, but you know, again, I was, I had a good relationship with him and, you know, I'd sit there and just, you talk about humanizing that group was fun. And, uh, I was sitting there one day, we're not sitting there, but I was in the Braves clubhouse one day and Chipper and Smoltz were playing backgammon and they'd play each other. They'd play each other a lot. And it was just fun. Just, and I'd sit there standing over them and just talking with the two of them. And one day, and they're both super competitive. And one day Chipper is behind big and backgammon. And I think Rolls double sixes, like, you know, 38 consecutive times. And he come, he basically comes all the way back and pretty much comes close to finishing it out. And when he rolls whatever he needed to roll, I mean, pumps his fist like I've never (laughs) seen before. Like, I mean, I've never seen him be that emotional on the field. And they were great to me again. So, so he, you know, he's just going crazy. And I was like, dude, I said, I've never seen you get that fired up on the field. You know, what's the deal? And he just kind of, he thinks for a second and he points at Smoltz and he goes, what can I say? He's my New York Mets. <laughs> That's really good. 
what is it? I, and I mean, the answer to this question is probably like. And the other thing that I loved about Chipper, yeah, Chipper was the type of guy that he would let he let me use it on the air. So I mean, and you know, it was just tongue in cheek. So like, it, but it was just a great line, and like, that's the type of stuff that you're searching for every day to just give you a little bit of flavor of what the guys like and what, you know. I mean, that puts you right there in the clubhouse when you get to tell that story. That, that's what I'm curious about. I mean, like, and, I, and that's what I was going to say. Like, the answer is probably, like, just be genuinely interested and be a good person. Um, but, like, how do you how do you put yourself in the in the situations where, you know, in that spot, you're in their domain and they're playing backgammon and, and you – how do you put yourself in the right place to be able to glean knowledge, information – um, but also cultivate true relationships with people um, where where you can kind of do your job the best way possible. It's different in different settings. In that setting, I would say that's easier to do because you're with the team all the time. Sure. And they're, they're used to you. So, and I think that was my second year there. So I think it's a little different when you, when you're traveling with a team, you know, your ability to get in there with the home team is right there in front of you in terms of how do you do it um i unfortunately to just i'm old you know like i've been doing it for uh, for a while now so you just you meet people and someone who knows someone and guys you know start to know who you are and you get an idea for who's a good talker who's not a good talker um but it can be as simple as this. We're, I did. I was doing the Indians over the weekend for radio uh, late in the season, and it was during their their winning streak. And I want to say they had won sixteen or seventeen in a row. And I know Jason Kipnis a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. But as I'm leaving the locker room. I see him and I stop him and I say, Hey Kip, he, he was on the disabled list at the time. He had a hamstring issue. And so they'd won, I think 17 straight. I said, Hey Kip, how you feeling? He said, yeah, good. I did all my running said, I, you know, I feel pretty good. I said, well, when, when do you think you'll be back? He said, honestly, I think I'll be full go, you know, in a day or two. And then he pauses, gets a big smile on his face and goes, but I ain't coming back until they lose. Cause I'm not letting them put that shit on me. <laughs> And, you know, and and I, I burst out laughing and, you know, can I curse? I just curse. You can. It's a, it's a podcast where you're, you're, right. you're good. As I figured as much. Yeah, there's, there's um, no FCC. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just kind of wander into that one. You just, but it, 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 sometimes it's. Uh, where do you strike the balance of what you'll use in that situation uh, versus just developing rapport with players? In that spot, I will I, I will laugh and I'll say, I'm going to use that, okay? He's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, and there are times where, you know, when you get a casual comment like that, you just, you know, I'll ask, is it okay if I, if I use that or, or tell that story? Um, that's, yeah, that's how you're, that's how you're looking to, how you're looking to do it. You know, I, it's, uh. And there, you know, there's a, there's a million different things. There's stuff. I'll give you a good one that I had. And this was, this was fun. I've had over the years, I had some great interactions with David Ortiz, but one 
then this was this ended up working really well but i was doing a sunday night game on the radio it was in detroit red sox tigers and tigers are winning most of the game i think eighth inning late in the game ortiz hits a huge homer off of uh jabba chamberlain and the red sox win and so after the game i'm walking past the tv trucks and i have the red sox for wednesday night baseball in baltimore uh, for tv that week and but as i'm going past tv trucks i see duke thorne who is uh one of the camera guys for sunday night baseball he's actually at the time he was the guy that uh that worked the handheld that followed the guy who followed the pitchers followed the guy that you know as he's rounding third hitting the homer you know you see the camera guy running alongside him sure so that was what duke did so after the game duke says oh i gotta tell you this story so ortiz <laughs> you know and he and because he's on the field he 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 talks to all the guys like they they get to know who he is and ortiz said to him pre-game Hey man, when I hit the homer tonight late in the game, I'll go slow for you so you can so you can film me. <laughs> and when it was done, he looked at Duke and said, "Did I go too fast for you?" That's good. So and when I, you know, but but something like that, that's Duke telling me. So then when we did the Wednesday night game, I went up to him and I said, "Can I use that?" Like asked Ortiz, "Can I tell that story?" And he said, "Yeah." What's different, uh, all of that being said, for you know being the Braves guy or working with the Marlins uh, and then just helicoptering in and doing a one-off on radio or, or a one-off on a Wednesday night? Well, look, national baseball coverage during the year, it's just different. I, I think that, you know, the first thing that I would say is that, you know, we're, when we're doing – when we – yeah, when we just parachute in to do the Indians and the Red Sox, I think the first thing that I would say is you're just kind of, you know, it's going to be mainly Indians and Red Sox fans, but you also kind of need to go broad stroke. So I think that there's an aspect of it where you come in and say, you're, you're basically trying to ex- explain this is who this team is. This is what they're good at. This is what they're not as good at. And then specific concepts in terms of this is an Indians team that doesn't throw as a pitching staff. They don't throw the fastball frequently. They're very, um, you know, statistically they throw the cutter more than any team. They throw the curveball more than any team and it's by design. So they basically are coming after you, as they like to say, with spin right out of the gate. So you you will use talk concepts and stuff like that. So I just think it's it's different. It's a little more when you're when you're in it every single day, you know, you're it's just it's like a daily story. And I think that with the national you're you're kinda trying to bring a little broader perspective. What's prep like for a national game in that regard and and, and being able to you know, I mean, the, the way baseball works, particularly on television, being able to to carry a story over the course of three hours and and know you've got a lot of different things to go to, um, but at the same time not inundate people. And uh, I mean, can you kind of walk me through your your prep of a, a Wednesday night game? Yeah, I mean, look, we 
you know, we do a lot of the, a lot of the same teams, you know, it's, a, it, it's that's just, true too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just the way, the way it is. So like, you know, you get into June, you got a pretty good idea. You're going to see the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs and the Cardinals, um, a lot, you know, I mean, it's just the, those, those teams, you're just, you're going to see a lot. And then, so but I think that in the overall, um, you know, my prep is it's it's going to be pitcher centric if there's, you know, something that stands out about the pitcher and then really going through strengths and weaknesses of the team. And then if there are interesting storylines um, <clears throat> relative to specific players or, or stories that that we want to tell. Um, you know, so we had one that really, that went well. We actually, we did a, a Marlins, uh, Cardinals game in Miami and I think mid May this past year. And while I was prepping for the game, you know, so like, okay, the, the first things that you'll do is, okay. So if you were just, you're, you're looking at the Marlins. Okay. So the first thing I, I would where do they rank in runs per game? Where do they rank in on base? Where do they rank in slugging? You know, so like that, those are the things you're the first thing you're going to look at. So, okay. And I'm just making this up, but okay. So they're, they're ninth in runs per game and eighth at on base and 10th in slugging. So they're probably an average to slightly below with park effect, probably average ish offensive team. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what you're processing in that, in that spot. But then you're looking through some things and Tom Kohler was starting that night. Tom Kohler. One of the things that they talked about with him is how he wraps his wrist um, behind his body. And just looking at his mechanics, I, I sent video to Rick Sutcliffe, who was really the classic wrist wrapper. He had that unique way of taking the, the ball, you know, kind of behind his back and like curling up his wrist and wanted to see if there was anything there. And he liked it. And so in game, we did a, a side by side of Kohler and, and Sut and, you know, for Kohler, they look at the, the wrist wrap as being problematic. And, and in the piece that we did, you know, Sut really uh, explained how, mechanically he could make it work if he just if he adjusted something so there's just a million different things that you're gonna run into and try and do and sometimes it's launch angle and you know sometimes it's talking to Matt Carpenter about how he changed in his career that you know you find something that uh you know that those are the guys that are that are interesting to talk to. So Matt Carpenter says, you know, I didn't want to be a guy who hit 300 with a 330 on base and slugged 440. I want to hit, you know, 275. I want my on base to be 400, and I want to slug like 510. So I had to change, you know, the way I went about things. And then you go talk to Matt Carpenter, and you know, you're going to hit on that or um, doing the nationals talking to a guy like Daniel Murphy there's yeah so there's just there's a million different ways that you that you go but you want to you want to emphasize some of the personalities and then you know statistical stuff as well 
do you like do do you notebook that or how how yeah. much chicken scratch is in your in in your scorebook and how do you organize yeah, it all? So I mean I I have I, th- that'll be on my card. That type of stuff will be on my card. I, my, there's you know at this point on my card there's there's numbers notes and then there's also you know shorthand code that will remind me of a story that I have. I mean that's that's basically how I do it. So gotcha. The actual mechanics, if I can go back mm-hmm. to a thing you said earlier, uh, slow game that gets fast in a hurry. Yep. Um, what's, the, what's the best way to handle that from a broadcasting perspective? And I, I guess that's more of a radio question. Um, but I, baseball yeah. can catch you off guard, and, and there's a lot that goes into that just in terms of using your instrument and being able to control your voice the right way. And yep. um, What's your approach to that? So the first thing that I would say is the best way – to consistently avoid it's the best piece of mechanical advice that I ever got for doing radio play by play was from John Miller. And it's still something that I use and it's really subtle, but I, anytime I'm critiquing young broadcasters, it's, I pass this piece of information along all the time. And that is it's, it it all begins with, when and how you begin the play. And the biggest and most important piece is that you want to, I'm a believer in, I I think that you should consistently be telling me when the play starts and the play starts when the pitcher starts to pitch. So I'm not saying never, but I'm not a fan of you and I just having a conversation. There's a ball outside and that we're just, talking swing and a miss and that the conversation keeps happening that's in the dirt two and one you know what i mean like i want what i want is here comes the pitch here's the two one right hander turns on the rubber kicks and deals i want that every time or as much as possible and also with that and this is the most important thing though you want to say here's the pitch before you think you do and the reason for that is because of how hard they throw the ball, um, you can't say here's the pitch in sync with the pitcher pitching because the ball gets there faster than the words come out of your mouth. So what you want is sound wise, you want to be saying here's the pitch almost before the pitcher releases it so that you're using the sounds because if you synchronize here comes the two one with the pitcher releasing the ball, the TCH and the ball hitting the bat are all happening as a one sound. But if you do it ahead of where you need to do it, then the way it should sound is here comes the two, two crack swing and a ground ball to short shortstop moves to his left, gathers it in, throws the first one out. Do you understand what I'm saying in terms of the sound? 100%. That, so that's – and then – so not only – so the first thing that that executes is you're hearing the sounds of the park as opposed to the back crack being underneath your voice. You want that tiny bit of space. You know, if you have Jim Joyce behind the plate, it's Verlander winds it up and fires, and then you get – the ball hitting the mitt and you in a, you know, in a big league, well-miked park, you hear from Jim Joyce, you know? So like that's, and 
that's the type of stuff you're looking to do. The other thing, though, is that when you say here's the 2-1 or here's the pitch ahead of it to allow for that space, it puts you in a better timing position to call the play. So now it's here's the kick in the 2-2, and then you hear the ball hit the bat, and now you can describe the play. So that it, it, it's when, – when you're trying to synchronize calling the pitch with the pitcher throwing, it's easier to get into a place um, where you're chasing the play. So that – to me, that that's mechanically the biggest, the biggest piece of advice that I think can help broadcasters is – I think that just there, there are time, you know, just focus on the pitcher and get that timing synced up and start the play and just, and go from there. And again, it's my opinion. So, you know, everybody's, everybody's got a different one, you know, be conversational. Don't go too fast. But I, I, I think that everything really emanates from, that place and getting that timing correctly, you know, because when it sounds good, you know, you want to hear, you know, that you want to hear Arietta rocks and fires. And then you hear the ball hit the bat and then the crowd starts to rise and you start to describe the play. You're using all the sounds, you know, I'm glad we went down that road. Cause that was, an awesome answer. Uh, so um, I, I appreciate you, uh, you you sharing that one with me. Um, any, anything else while I'm on that, just mechanically, that comes to mind um, in terms of broadcasting? Uh, that that is, and, and you said that was the one thing that John Miller told you that you always rely on to other people. Is there anything else that that I I might not hit on that that always comes to mind when you talk about broadcasting with people? I don't think so. I, I mean, I mean, to me, that's that is. The, again, the be, it, because everything flows from there. Yeah, so that's I, the I first domino. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, I, I you know the rest of it is you just you find your style. But you know, radio wise, you're trying to describe. Um, you know, I, again, there are different things, but you, you know, you're trying to paint the picture. So there's just, I, I think that. You're, you know, you want to give guys movement. Like one of the th- one of the things that I would say is just once you start to get comfortable, then you, you begin to add little details that, again, you're trying to to really you're just you're you're trying to make people picture. You know what what it is that's happening. So, you know, when Mike Trout comes to the plate. Um, you know, you, you still, everybody knows he's a right-handed hitter, but at some point I might say, you know, big right-handed hitter digs in, you know what I mean? It's just cause you're trying to cue them thinking about Mike Trout at the plate or even just something, a routine ground ball to second base is something that you can play with that, you know, almost it, it's it's really rare that somebody gets a ground ball hit at them that they don't take any 
that there's no lateral movement. So the types of things that you can do that, you know, to, to describe is, you know, on routine ground balls, give the fielder some movement and add some description. So swinging a ground ball right at the second baseman, Altuve, step to his left, reaches down, picks it up, just adding that extra detail of takes a step to his left. You know what I mean? That, sure. that you, you just throw in there. Um, but I would say, again, don't, you know, don't do too much. Um, and just, yeah, be focused on, on describing and, and, you know, it's hard. You, you're inclined to want to jam information in. And I, I mean, we all have good stuff that, you know, you want to get in there, but you want to just make sure your pace and your timing is, is, uh, is on point before you, you know, start to try and stuff things into the broadcast. I'll, uh, if I can wrap things full circle here with you and, uh, and bring you back to the, 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 uh, the beginning and I'll end on this note. Uh, I'm a Syracuse guy, so we shine WAER quite a bit on here. Uh, but I, I want to go back to, uh, WZBC for you. Um, were you in school with, with shoes and tests at the same time? I was, yeah. Uh, first off, was the test effect a thing when he was in college? <laughs> Not that I'm aware okay. of. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> but uh, did you know yeah, then, we, kind of that that this might, or is it kind of neat to look back on? Or I guess what was that trio like in school? Yeah, it's neat to look back on. I, I mean, at the time, the way we knew each other was that we would. There was a Monday night sports talk show that you know, we all would participate in and I, you know, we just, we had a passion for sports. We were all friends and then, you know, Bob and I were roommates in Miami. I I can't sit here and tell you that I knew (laughs) then that we were going to, you know, go on and do what we, you know, what we've done, but it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a passionate group. That's for, that's for sure. Um, the other guy that was actually, I guess a year below was he, he, I don't believe he's, he's in the business anymore, but he, he worked on the Red Sox broadcast for a while. John Risch, um, on the, on the radio side, I did a little bit of TV was there with us as well, but yeah, I I would love to tell you that I knew that we were all going to, we were all going to make it, but I, I just think, I don't, I, I can tell you that, you know, I think that one of the things, and I guess in the end it served me, but it, it never occurred to me that I might not be good enough. You know, I, I was just such a huge sports fan and I worked hard in terms of trying to learn stuff. And I was a baseball junkie. You know, I was someone that subscribed to Baseball America back when, you know, back in the day. So you're, you know, talking and, and I would have like, you know, Alan Simpson on the uh you know, on the talk show to talk about like the draft and stuff like that. Like I was a dork. So <laughs> I don't, but I don't think we, uh, we really knew that, that it was going to turn out like this. Uh, has, has Wade Davis at least, does he know who you are yet? Has that. Subs- so I took, I, I never posted it, but I, I ended up going to, uh, I was at spring training uh, last year and I was walking past this one area and, and literally I come face to face with Wade Davis <laughs> and he just gets this giant smile on his face and he's just like, what's up, man? And then, and 
Sutcliffe, I don't know whether he was there that day, but we took a selfie and sent it to Sutcliffe that day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're good. Awesome. Um, John, this was, uh, this was awesome. It was fun to pick your brain and, uh, I, I don't know what I can do to repay the favor, but I really appreciate you, uh, you spending some time with me and, uh, and doing this this week. Yeah, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. That's John Shiambi joining us here on play by play cast. I was fired up to be able to, to do the interview with, uh, with Boog this week. And, uh, I can't thank him enough for taking the time to, uh, to do it. Uh, one of those guys that got the, uh, random message from me saying, Hi, I'm Joel. I've got a podcast. Do you want to come talk about your life? Uh, and and uh, he said yes. And uh, I'm forever grateful to those people that uh, don't know me or this platform from Adam, uh, but that continue to uh, to come on and uh, allow me to pick their brains and allow all of us to to learn something from them as well. And by the way, if you've never seen the video clip that we referenced at the very end there uh, with Rick Sutcliffe and, and Wade Davis talking... And Suddy saying, you know, got, got in a fight with John Shambi who would win. And Wade Davis says, who's John Shambi? And, and the clip is priceless because they just show Boog sitting in the booth deadpan uh, while Eduardo Perez and, and Rick Sutcliffe are losing their minds with laughter. Uh, so if you're kind of in the dark about that, uh, last question and uh, the fallout thereafter, uh, it's on YouTube. So you can check it out. Just, uh, I mean, if you search John Shiambi, it'll pop up. So uh, make sure you uh, you do yourself a favor and uh, check that out and get your laugh um, for uh, for the week, I guess. Uh, again, though, many thanks to John Shiambi for doing this. Uh, I'm going to go before uh, I continue to sound more and more like Froggy because I've got a broadcast tomorrow and uh, I, I pity the poor souls that are fans of IUPUI and Ball State that are going to have to listen to, to this sound for for two hours tomorrow so uh rest up the vocal cords uh and hope that all of you have great weekends broadcasting as you guys uh venture off to wherever uh your broadcasting uh travels may take you this week and then we will see you back here next week for another edition of play by play cast my name is joel gadat many thanks to john shiambi see you next friday right back here on itunes or stitcher with pxp cast hit it marshmallow we're out Yeah.